Welcome to Time Out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. This is the second in a series where we will explore innovation in schools, engage with the lived experience of others, and consider ways digital technologies can challenge our thinking, enhance our practices, and help us develop as teachers and leaders. Perhaps I'm going out on a limb here, but I dare say that teachers may be some of the most creative individuals on Earth. Creativity spans a range of areas, but specific to physical education, the novel value-added uses of digital technologies in movement-based learning settings take the cake. If you look up the definition of technology, you may find a few different variations. However, Dictionary.com offers that technology is, quote, the branch of knowledge that deals with the creation and use of technical means and their interrelation with life, society, and the environment, end quote. And also, quote, the application of this knowledge of practical ends, end quote. When framed in this manner, technology solves problems. It serves practical functions. Alone, the technology does not achieve much, not until it is applied or used within a setting by a user to satisfy a particular need does that technology live up to its promise or design. We ask teachers, teacher educators, and professionals in the field of physical education how they use technology to solve practical problems in their teaching and learning environments. Their responses showcase essential critical thinking and problem-solving tenets that focus on solving instructional problems rather than the digital technology itself. Listen as educators from across the country pull back the curtain to reveal some of the factors that are critical in their decision-making and technology adoption process. The first thing is I want it to be easy for my students to access. Uh, so like this year, um, I started using Nearpod. Have never used it, but it's on my students' iPad. So of course I'm like, well, that's the one I need to use because it's easy for them to access. And it's something other teachers are using. And I can use, I also like to choose resources that you can use for multiple things. And Nearpod is something you can use for mul multiple, uh, multiple ways. So I can do my digital think tank on there, which I have a, a, a non-digital version of the think tank too. And I can do my assessment, my quiz on there. I can do a poll on there. Like it's a ton of things on that one resource. And I don't have to use multiple confusing my students. Now, of course, I use with uh, Google Forms, uh, like for my assessments. But if it's something I'm going to have the students doing, I try to use figure out ways to use Nearpod. Okay. Uh, so that's the first thing. Easy for my students. I want it easy for me. I Hopefully I can find something that's easy to uh, give me the data. So it's not something where I have to do a lot of data collection on my own that is, you know, going analyzing the data for me. So that's mm -hmm. another thing I, I tell everybody, make sure you test. I test out um, all resources on my iPad and then I get kids to test it out before I use them in class because I'm like, I don't want to get in class and it doesn't work for them. So I always like, let's test this out on yours first. And then <laughs> if it clears that, so those two tests, it was cleared, then we can use it in the classroom. Some of those things can have learning curves with it, but I think just a general familiarity with a suite of tools translates well um, and practice using technology. So if you know how to use an iPad to do one thing in your space, it's not going to be a huge burden to be able to say, okay, now I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with it, right? Like I know how to screen share 
Um, so I can screen share this, this Tabata timer. I can screen share this, this new video or whatever else the, the technology is. So choosing, this is going to sound bad, but really choosing like a hardware platform and becoming extensively familiar with the hardware platform. And a lot of this, the software that's going to accompany that it's developers jobs to make things intuitive, right? They, they're, they're literally working when an update comes, it's not to make it more complicated, it's to make it more intuitive and user-friendly. So as long as you're familiar with that that hardware platform and you kind of understand the ins and outs of working with a MacBook or an iPad or, or a Windows computer, whatever, you know, or a Promethean board for that matter, like if you're familiar and you've spent the time digging in to that hardware platform, I feel like the software and the new tools, as, as we say, the new tools are gonna come with that. Also, educators have unique perspectives on the variety of uses of technology in educational settings that can range from objectively measuring physical activity to augmenting feedback to learners in the gymnasium. Some of the first things that pop in my head when I hear that would be utilizing iPads or smartphones or apps, heart rate monitors, pedometers, or some other types of of activity trackers. But more of a 30,000 foot view, I think about objectively measuring physical activity. I think about um, the uses of technology for classroom management and organization. I think about utilizing technology to provide um, augmented feedback for students. Um, concurrent uh, while they're participating, uh, is, as well as individualized feedback that a, a human can't give um, individualized feedback to, to 30 students at one time, but your technology can assist with that. So some those are some of the, the major things that, that I think about, I, as well as professional development where people are able to utilize technology, which people are listening to this podcast or watching this vodcast right now, where hopefully they'll learn a thing or two through technology. Using the ISTE standards for teachers' technology use, we can see three primary functions for educational technology. These include enhancing student learning or engagement, promoting effective planning and instruction, and expanding professional development and networking. As with many technologies, users can alter or modify the purpose for which it was designed to better meet their needs. In some cases, teachers have re- or multi-purposed digital technologies in ways that enhance teaching and learning environments. This is where the creativity of teachers becomes so evident. Ms. Crystal Williams, an elementary PE teacher from Tennessee, recognized that students needed more age-specific examples of how to perform skills during skill practice activities. Instead of her demonstrating the task over and over, she decided to take advantage of the skillful movers in her class and capture their performance on video to be used as instructional aids for the children in her classes. Let's give that a listen. You could just use it in different ways. The visuals, like that is huge to, I teach a ton of classes all week. So to have that visual and not, I'm not the one that's always doing it. I like to also have my students, I video my students doing the skills. And that is great because now they can connect and say, oh, it's not Coach Williams up there. Other kids are doing it. And, you know, they go around, my students say they're famous. And like, you know, I'm like, give that person a shout out. You see them in the hallway, be like, I saw you on the highlight video in PE. They love to see themselves and to connect. And I also have had, um, had, I had parents 
sending videos of themselves with their kid doing exercises for a warm up. And the kids went crazy over there. They love seeing the parents up there doing the exercises. And then I also had my uh, all three of my principals because we have two assistant principals. I had them record. Well, I, I went and recorded them. They didn't record themselves, but I recorded them doing different movements and made that into a warm up. And they were like, yeah, this is great. The kids love seeing uh, my principals up there doing the activities and following along. You know, they're laughing and it just brings extra enjoyment seeing those visuals and being able to connect once again, making that outside of class connection and not just seeing your PE teacher do the movements is just building on, making a, you know, kicking it up another notch. Ms. Williams goes on to describe how significant this was to her students. What started out as instructional support has turned into an element of her classroom that fosters a sense of community and belonging within the school. Because, you know, I can uh, video them one year and it'd be like two years later and they're like, oh, that sibling doesn't even go in there anymore. That's like, yeah, that's my brother. They love to see like their older siblings in the videos. They really connected with that. I had one little student. She had me. She's still at my school and she was in the video. She was like, it's my her younger brother. She's like, is he going to see this? And I was like, yeah, she's like, oh, I can't wait till he gets to see this. So she was so excited that he was going to see her and he was happy to see her up there. Dr. Seth Jenny is a teacher educator and instructional technology specialist. He describes his use of pedometers in the gymnasium as a mechanism for differentiating instruction based on the student's level of readiness and fitness level. This has the potential to enhance motivation and contribute to self-directed learning opportunities based on tailored instruction. When I was teaching health and PE, uh, we utilized heart rate monitors to move beyond um, just the PE teachers perceived exertion level of the students or the individual student of how they felt they were exercising to objectively uh, measuring their intensity. As I mentioned with uh, Mexico City, but even in, in Columbia, Illinois, where we used heart rate monitors there um, at the lower elementary levels, utilizing um, pedometers uh, and being able to have students get excited about um, step counts. And when they're lined up um, to leave the gym, they're still jumping up and down because they want to get a few more uh, counts on the pedometer. And, and that's the type of stuff that technology can afford um, where, uh, you know, general education, we might call that um, zone of proximal development, you know, Vygotsky meeting the students where they are that's still at a challenging level. Well, you know, we talk in PE, that same term is like meeting students where their current fitness level is. And if you're having students um, exercise at a certain intensity level, the student that might be less fit, might be overweight, might be on the outset exercising at a slower pace, but that might be what's really appropriate for them. And we're able to tell that because of a heart rate monitor where the person who is more fit is moving at a faster pace and they still might not be exercising hard enough if um, they're not reaching that lower level of their target heart rate zone. So um, yeah, that's a long answer, but um, that's my initial feelings on that. Dr. Jenny also offers an interesting insight into the role virtual reality and sports simulations video games could play in physical education as a means of introducing students 
to a wide range of sports and supplementing knowledge of game concepts and rules. It can help with burning calories and it can help with um, feelings that someone may want to participate in that activity outside of the gaming environment. So I've done studies with uh, virtual rock climbing and students have increased their intentions to want to go rock climbing after they've experienced the virtual environment of it. Um, and, and also the uh, idea that you can utilize um, some of these motion-based games for people that might have an injury or a disability that they may not be as easily able to participate in, for example, rock climbing very easily in the real world environment, but the virtual environment, um, they can find success in that. And the, you know, you mentioned differentiated instruction, and that's built into almost every video game where you can pick the skill level. Am I the beginner, intermediate, or advanced? And each game typically has different terminology for that. But, you know, that is trying to meet the player at the level of where they're at. And um, some of the other, I've done some other work with to what extent um, playing a sport video game teaches people about the rules and strategies of of the game and so uh, i've done a study with uh international students playing madden so most of them didn't know much about american football and after several uh games with madden they did increase their their knowledge level um about the rules strategies player positions official signals um, and the other thing that was really neat is uh, we did focus groups afterward and the, um, they felt more connected to American society because they oh. would go to Buffalo Wild Wings and they'd hear people cheering and watching television and they really didn't have any clue what was going on. And after um, eight 30 minute uh, gaming sessions, they felt like, okay, they weren't experts, but they knew you had four tries to make it 10 yards and, and um, you know, you, you uh, had to pass or run past the line of scrimmage and some of their super basics that us, we take for granted because we've grown up in this culture. And, and I've done a similar study with Americans on a video uh, gaming version of cricket where they try to um, assimilate baseball to cricket because it's the closest sport they know, but there's a lot of rules that are different. And, and they increased their knowledge level on that. Um, so anyway, um, I guess the one la last thing I wanted to mention, which was a unique finding of the rock climbing study where I had people who had never rock climbed before do it in the virtual environment, half the group and the other half started in the indoor rock climbing wall and they switched. And one of the unique things I, I found from that, and this was from some focus groups afterward too, was that... Um, the they believed the majority of them believed that the best way to climb up a, a wall is like a ladder where you just go straight up and when you're on a rock wall i mean the wall's right in front of your face but you when you're playing the video game it is a 3d version where you see the entire wall and you're that avatar on the wall and because of the perspective of you could see the entire wall they realize the strategy the best way to get up the wall may not be to go straight up like on a ladder but it might be a few steps to the left and then zigzag to the right and so the strategy of rock climbing um, was enhanced in some aspects and so overall um 
my research has shown that that sort of having direct instruction, the traditional physical education, along with the video game can help with their overall learning. And it's not like um, the video gaming is useless or certainly the direct instruction is not useless. It can be used as an augmented um, enhancement of a lesson. But with gaming, you run the risk of time on task where only so many people can play at one time. Um, Dance Dance Revolution is a good solution to that where you have interactive mats and people are uh, a whole class can even follow along at one time where they're they're going on the same steps at the same time. And they have a classroom version of that where each student can even be tracked with their score while the whole class is going, I think up to 25 students. So that was a long answer, but that's sort of some of the most recent research I've done in, with, with gaming and PE. Dr. Jennifer Krause, a teacher educator and researcher, was finding it difficult to assess student knowledge in a timely manner within her methods course. With the aim of modeling appropriate assessment practices, she didn't want to forego assessing student learning due to time constraints. Therefore, she sought a technology-based strategy that allowed her to quickly and efficiently assess students' knowledge in a digital exit slip format using clickers. One semester, I decided I was going to make 10% of the students' overall grade in, an, in our intro to physical education class. Um, a question of the day that was related to the reading they were supposed to do. It was really just to get them to read because, <laughs> you know. Um, so every single day there was a question and we used clickers. So every single day, the first thing I did was pull the clickers like question. They had to pull out their clicker card. I asked the question and they, I scanned it and I have not done it since. <laughs> there are multiple reasons. Some of them would forget their clicker card and it was like, and I know a lot of PE teachers are doing that in their gym as like, you know, an opening question or a, you know, kind of like an exit ticket, a virtual exit ticket. And it works really well for them. But in the end, I just was like, is this worth it? And it was, it really kind of came down to, to like the type of question I can ask in clickers. You can really only ask closed questions with four possible responses and so in the end, it really wasn't worth it to me. It didn't fulfill my initial purpose, which was get them to read because the questions couldn't be that deep. So that's an example of like, it wasn't a lot of effort, but it was enough that I had to come up with questions, enter them in the program, like, and in was my reward for all that effort big enough? not in that particular situation. I can see how it can be in others. Again, from the standpoint of efficiency in assessing student learning, Dr. Krause's large class enrollments constrained her ability to monitor student engagement and mastery of content on a regular basis. Listen to how she harnessed the features and functions of her learning management system to solve this problem. So I teach a class on... Um, physical education for elementary education teachers. So they're not PE majors, right? And I've had to really think about how to be efficient and effective with them because it's a short one credit course. That course originally was fully on campus. 
And it used to be in a couple formats, depending on who was teaching it, like every Friday for two hours or for a whole semester, or we would just meet for a couple full weekends, Friday through Sunday, all day, every day. It's really intense. But since pandemic and things like that, it went online and other things like that. And so how we, um, how I gather information from them, and I have 42 students across two sections at one time. So it's a lot of students and comparatively to what I'm used to. We have pretty small cohorts. So you know, in terms of like assessment and things like that and building modules. And, and so I have them go through asynchronous modules um, around physical education, health, physical activity, that kind of stuff. And the, I've, I've learned that I need to be strategic in how I assess their knowledge. And while I prefer to assess um, on a higher level thinking kind of thing um, with open-ended thought processing and application to their own practice, I've had to, for my own sake, also included some questions where it's automatically graded in Canvas (laughs) because I can't, I don't have the capacity So taking advantage of like the LMS tools, for example, um, where it's like, you know, I can have some of these quiz parts of the quiz auto graded every week, where then I go in and then I, you know, manually grade the other questions that are open-ended has saved me a lot of time. And it's just also, I think just the way it is, it's checking to make sure they've gone through every piece of the module. Dr. Adam Keith also found value in capitalizing on the student engagement and communication features of the learning management system. He shares. Some of those things can have learning curves with it, but I think just a general familiarity with a suite of tools translates well um, and practice using technology. So if you know how to use an iPad to do one thing in your space, it's not going to be a huge burden to be able to say, okay, now I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with it, right? Like I know how to screen share. Um, so I can screen share this, this Tabata timer. I can screen share this, this new video or whatever else the, the technology is. So choosing, this is going to sound bad, but really choosing like a hardware platform and becoming extensively familiar with the hardware platform. And a lot of this, the software that's going to accompany that, you know, it's developers' jobs to make things intuitive, right? They, they're they're literally working, you know, when an update comes, it's not to make it more complicated, it's to make it more intuitive and user-friendly. So as long as you're familiar with that, that hardware platform and you kind of understand the ins and outs of working with a MacBook or an iPad or, or a Windows computer, whatever, you know, or a Promethean board for that matter, like if you're familiar and you've spent the time digging in to that hardware platform, I feel like the software and the new tools, as, as we say, the new tools are going to come with that. Dr. Keith also provides insight to the value automation and how technology can accommodate for the variety of learners' needs, also referred to as universal design of instruction. Dr. Keith shares his thoughts. I think as a professor, the the biggest tools that I use now are learning management tools and and like remote delivery. So teaching my tech class, again, this is probably more of a 
a symptom of the pandemic is a lot of our interns and our early field experiences have been forced to deliver remote instruction without ever being on the instructor side of a learning management system. And that's the same thing that our teachers ran into. Uh, you know, their schools had LMSs and some of them even, you know, would post here and there and there. But for the most part, our PE teachers in general didn't use any kind of learning management system. So one of the things I've done recently is I've learned the because, you know, we use Blackboard as our native system here. But I mean, I have some experience with Canvas and Moodle and some of the other ones in Google Classroom. So I wasn't super familiar with any uh, any of them other than Blackboard and Canvas. So um, I've kind of been deliberate about using LMSs in a variety of different classes so that the students have experience with a variety of those different tools. Um, and in my tech class specifically, I have them submit their assignments as if they're setting up a course in a learning management system. Other creative uses of technology shared by the educators included using Class Dojo, creating digital board games for students to engage with educational dance content, and fashioning a portable cart with a screen that can cast videos, images, and other multimedia to supplement instruction for the learners. Let's hear a bit more about these from Ms. Crystal Williams and Dr. Adam Keith. I know a lot of PE teachers like to, I'm not going to call the app, but they like to purchase the app that does the random names and random groups. And it's the app that does more, has more features and does the same thing. And it's free. And it's called? Class Dojo. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it does a lot more. That's right. Yes. Yeah. A, a lot. Because uh, I, I used to do my assessments instead of Google Form. I used to use Class Dojo because it's a it's a behavior app and you can track students' behavior. However, you can also use it to track assessment uh, like mm -hmm. underhand throwing. So I could say, okay, they got that cue, that cue, and I'm giving them points just like I would give them points for the behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's another way to connect with parents if you if your district is using it, or you can set it up yourself. But now the parents can see the assessments and can get that immediate feedback. You can give them feedback. You can record the students on Class Dojo. Uh, like I said, random name selector, random group, and you can make it where certain students are not together. I love. I still use Class Dojo because I take role in my class to make sure you know who whoever's there is supposed to be there. Because the teacher might tell you that. But those I have to check like and then if you have a fire drill, you need to know who's there. So I always do my class dojo um, for attendance and I have used it for many other things throughout my years as a teacher. On Flippity, you can use create all these resources and they look great and I don't have to do it myself because a lot of times I do make my own resources in PowerPoint and it takes a little time but on there you can make it look amazing and you it doesn't take much all you have to do is put the information in Google Sheets and then bam there it is and they made a, a like this awesome game and I can totally share I, that's one thing I share with people too to share with their students is that that board game because I made it where anybody can use it and it like it's eye-catching we just put together these new learning carts for the gym. So they're these battery powered TVs with Apple TVs that we can roll around and move wherever we want in the gym. Yeah. 
super cheap too, less than 1200 bucks. We put the whole cart together and it rolls around and it's completely remote and students can connect and share directly to the, the screen in there. We can connect their heart rate monitors, all that and move it around and it's remote, right? So, but it's efficient. It's, it's easy to see that it works and it's a motivational tool and they're familiar with this technology. They have Apple TV at home and they share Netflix to their Apple TV or they connect to Apple TV some other way. So they were already familiar with it and it wasn't a huge like learning hurdle for them. Um, so that's a tool that I feel like my students can make a direct connection to my, my pre-service teacher students were able to make a, a really easy connection to. So as they went through their, their activities and, and did some, some peer teaching, um, that was a tool that they were didn't have a problem connecting with, and they were actually pretty creative in the ways that they use that in, in their classes. For instance, we, we have a sport ed class that they used a scoreboard on the big screen TV and kept stats and, and ran that back through using sport ed miles. So, so like they got updates of their stats, like so some pretty creative ways of actually using that tool that I hadn't delivered to them. They, they kind of thought about, and it was just directly connected to a tool that they already felt pretty comfortable with. Teachers consistently describe the need for the benefits or outcomes of using technology to far outweigh the effort it takes to use it. Several educators we spoke to used a unique phrase that the technology needs to be worth the squeeze. Said another way, the effort put into a tool's use needs to produce a value-added service that couldn't have been achieved without it. Dr. Tyler Goad describes his process for thinking about using new technology in his practice. First, it's like, a, okay, is this going to be a better way than we used to do it before? And are the students going to be able to like get, you know, is, is the students going to be able to get out of it or reach the outcome in a more meaningful way uh, than we used to uh, do it that way? Um, especially anytime we can individualize it. I mean, I'm really attracted to those things. It, you know, so the heart rate monitor are a perfect example of like individualizing that because it makes the content, they're able to relate the content I'm telling them to themselves and then they're able to apply it in a practical way. Um, so the ability to like create and share is huge and then individualizing uh, that content to themselves. Um, you know, like another example of that uh, would be like, you know, the use of uh, mobile applications, right? Uh, so, you know, we might be doing like a uh, nutrition unit, but by using my fitness pal to have them record it, they're recording their own nutritional to make it apply the content to themselves. So that when we say, hey, go look back at your log, I want you to find something that was like your favorite food. And now I want you to like design a healthier version of that food. You know, first, they're like, well, okay, hey, that was part of my diet last week. I do really enjoy that food. And then they're able to take my content that I'm relaying to them and apply it to something that actually matters to them. In a way, you know, I wouldn't be able to uh, do as easily or readily available because, well, my fitness pal solves a couple hurdles. It uh, automatically tracks it for them and logs it for them. And I can also see it. And also has a barcode scanner where, you know, they just didn't forget to do it because it's always in their pocket. So it solves the roadblocks. And then it also makes practical sense from both my side and the student side and individualizes the instruction. Dr. Goad found that web-based data entry for student assessment from paper-pencil rubrics not only saved him time, but also allowed for a more robust analysis of the data that he was collecting. I think this might have been part of some research thing they were doing uh, with Dr. Harvey, 
Um, but I was tasked with uh, filling out a rubric over like every student. I have 30 students in class. We'd be out on the turf playing small-sided games in a TGFU model. And I was supposed to carry this clipboard of 30 papers stacked on each other with individual names on each paper and circle the rubric up for every single one of them during a 60-minute period. And, you know, you got winds blowing around. You got a little clipboard. It's pretty tough to do. So I transferred them all over to a Google form. So when I logged it, it would go to Google Sheets. And I didn't have this huge clipboard. And so that's just like a management thing where it was like way more efficient for me to do it that way than rummaging through uh, 30 different papers on a rubric. Expanding your professional knowledge and skills through digital networks is another benefit of online and web-based technology. Mark and Becky Fulmer, a retired PE teacher and instructional coach, share their insights about the collaborative nature of Google for sharing information across departments, districts, and larger professional networks. They describe how this type of collaborative online platform changed the way they grew professionally across their careers. For me personally, Google has just been, I mean, still every single day, I'm just so amazed because of just the ability to collaborate in real time. Mm. Um, going through the majority of my career and not having that, and now to have it, and then to watch it develop to the point that it is now from where it was a pretty rudimentary tool when we first got gained access to now where it's just a fully functioning, just amazing tool for collaboration. I just, I'm like, I, again, I, I just get almost silly giddy over it because I just can't believe we can do this. You know, the, the fact that I can be, you know, typing something on a document and someone on the other side of the world can be reading it at the exact moment that I'm typing it. I just can't get over it. It's, it's like crazy. And um, it's just changed everything. I mean, our, the, the, the old concept, it just, it, the old concept of having you know, Word documents where it's ver this version and that version, and that version, which version are you working on? Oh, you're working on the wrong version. Oh, that was, the there's a newer version than that. And oh my gosh. And to not have that anymore is just, just amazing. And the, and Mark and I use the term iterations all the time, you know, the different iterations of all sorts of resources as a result of this, because a person can, you know, uh, take a look at something and then add to it and improve it. And all of a sudden you just have this tool that is significantly uh, more effective than it was when, when it was first developed. And just the, I'm, I get super excited about the professional conversations that occur around those things. Dr. Adam Keith also describes the value of using online collaborative tools for information and idea sharing, along with networking with other like-minded colleagues. The better tools I think that a new physical education teacher can get involved with would be the collaborative aspects of things. So becoming connected on social media, sharing some resources through Google Drive, Drive or OneDrive or some of those sharing, Dropbox, whatever the sharing platform that you use is. And that's just information sharing. And, and I feel like the, the differences there are subtle, but the payoff is, is pretty big. So once you've you know figured out how to search, and a lot of these skills are, I mean, kid, people are wasting our, we're wasting our time on social media on a daily basis. We just need to figure out what the, the hashtag that we need to search for is instead of hashtag TikTok dance or whatever, you know, like 
it's yeah. literally just a shift in in priority, not necessarily in skill for for I think to access some of those planning resources. Finally, Mark and Becky Fulmer encourage educators to engage in the professional conversation around technology and health and physical education on social media. Hear how they have used social media to showcase and explore innovative ways to use technology to enhance the teaching and learning environment and stretch teachers beyond their comfort zones. You know, as people talk about why, why, you know, what could we do to make this better and why would this allow students to learn better using this? It is important for teachers to first identify the need or instructional problem and then seek technologies that possess certain features and functions that may help solve the problems they face. However, it can seem daunting to think about integrating technology into your practice. Here are some practical tips from practitioners for those of us who may be skeptical or critical of this process. Dr. Krauss and Dr. Jenny emphasize that teachers really must understand their purpose for choosing to implement technology. Specifically, what problem is it going to solve or help make better? We talk about this in our textbook, um, I think even starting in the first chapter because it's pretty important. And that's the idea that some people will want to try to implement technology for the sake of implementing technology. It's, oh, um, I can't wait till somebody sees me using an iPad in class. But if it's not used to meet a specific learning objective, and, and maybe if there's less of a learning curve for you to uh, accomplish the same learning objective, then maybe you don't need to use the technology. So I think you, anytime you're, you're wanting to, um, in to implement some type of technology into your teaching, you have to think about what's the purpose of it. Um, is, are my student, is this at an appropriate level where the students will be able to grasp it? Uh, and, and is it meeting the learning objective? And if it's not, or um, if you're just doing it just to seem cool in front of your, your teaching <laughs> colleagues, um, for lack of a better phrase, then uh, reconsider whether you should use it or not. And I, I'm not discouraging people from using it, but I want you to question what's the purpose of the technology use. And if it's, and if it's making you more efficient, if it's giving students more feedback, um, then use it. But if it's not, if it's not meeting an objective or helping you teach more effectively or assess more effectively, um, then maybe you shouldn't use it. You need to have a purpose for the technology that makes something, whatever the purpose is, better, more efficient in some way. And don't use technology for the sake of using technology. It's cool, it's hip, it's innovative, awesome, but it's not always the best choice. And then thinking big picture, is it going to help you from an instructional standpoint? If you're going to use it, is it going to help you? Is it going to help students meet you know, your objectives and your standards that you're trying to meet? <clears throat> I see a lot of um, teachers throw something in the gym that's just really cool. And they got money and they got it and it's awesome and it's fun. But again, it's not the technology itself. It's how the teacher's using it. And furthermore, she reinforces the idea that Rome wasn't built in a day. And so starting small with something that is manageable is an important step in gaining confidence and meaningfully integrating technology into your teaching practices. 
I think I would say to start small. So don't try to go big and with every class all at once. Um, I think you maybe test it out with just one class to see how it goes before, you know, saying like, oh, okay, I'm going to use this, my new heart rate monitor set with all of my classes. And that's a lot. Um, pick one class you think would be um, a good fit for just a test run, um, just to get out the kinks before trying to go full fledged. And I think even before that, so before you even test it out, think about the purpose the technology will serve um, for you. Is it is it to make something easier? Is it to motivate students? Is it to um, be more efficient with something? Is it to provide uh, improved instruction that you couldn't have done without it? Ask those questions and make sure at least one of those answers is yes. <laughs> because otherwise, technology can be really frustrating. And um, when it doesn't work, that can really um, deter your lesson or, you know, those kinds of things. So I think start small and make sure that it serves a purpose that will improve whatever task it is that you were trying to do in the first place. Thanks again for taking time out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. To keep up with future episodes and to reach out to us, visit cahs.wvu.edu. Stay active and be well. Be well.